Well, we're involved in a prelude towards the book of Galatians as our featured study in the months to come. And what we're doing over the course of these opening Sundays in September is to look very carefully at the region of Galatia that Paul had ministered in. So I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning. We're making our way now to Acts chapter 14. And there in Acts chapter 14, we see what you and I might describe now as the completion of Paul's ministry in the region known as Galatia. And there we find that Paul is going to encounter a group of people that perhaps in today's society we might describe as secular unbelievers, people who lack a scriptural foundation or understanding. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture today, what we're going to be asking ourselves is that if you love Jesus as your Lord and Savior, how do you carry on an effective dialogue? And in particular, where do you find a natural starting point, an entryway into a conversation that will lead us to the cross of Jesus Christ? where Jesus died for our sins. How do you begin that conversation with somebody who does not have what you might have, an understanding of the basics of the Scriptures and what God has done on our behalf? These are the sorts of people now that Paul was about to encounter in that region known as Galatia. I'm going to pick it up now, and we're going to look very carefully, starting with what I'll call a springboard. A set of verses, verse 6 and 7, <coughs> that will lead us into this passage, which I'll read down to verse 20. Because here, Luke the physician writes, But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. That's the gospel. Now, with that in mind, in Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked at him, directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began, interestingly enough, to walk. Now, when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. <coughs> but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. Mark what comes next. We are bringing you 
good news. It's the gospel. Telling you to turn from this worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So what I'd like to do with you in these next few minutes together is to think out loud, if you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're very aware of the fact that this nation, this culture, this world is changing rapidly, and you're incredibly interested in communicating changeless truths in these changing times, how then do you go about sharing the gospel with today's secular mindset? That's the question of the hour that I'd like to think about with you as we first look to our Lord in prayer. So, Father, what we need is a model, a paradigm, an example that we can use to be able to understand how we relate truth in these times. We don't want it to stay bottled up inside our hearts if we truly believe that Jesus Christ has died for sins and that the only basis for salvation is the finished work of Jesus Christ, this good news is worth sharing. So no matter what our background and no matter what our ethnic group, no matter what our educational experience is and no matter what our job situation is or is not, Each of us is networked with a group of people, some we could call religious unbelievers, some we might dub secular unbelievers, all of whom need to know Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior and have the assurance of eternal life. So I'm asking that you take this word, break it down into bite-sized pieces so that we're going to be able to Assimilate it, take it in, and use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. So as we always pray, Father, you know our needs. You know the condition of our souls. Warm these hearts of ours. Engage these minds of ours. Shape these wills of ours. Come here now to see Jesus. Him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. It was one of those conversations that you could easily allow to slip away from you. 
except for the fact that the wording was so critical and so pivotal that it left a lasting impression on my mind to be repeated many a time subsequently still. Walking down a particular hospital hallway, I bumped into one of my friends, a physician, who said, Gary, I'd love to talk. Do you have a few minutes? I said, yes. And so he said, I'll be with you in a minute. And then he went inside the room of a patient that he had been caring for. Nothing dramatic. It's simply the words that were uttered as he entered that room that stand out in my mind. Because with a warm smile on his face, she walked in. He looked at this couple that were obviously agitated and worried about the outcome of a particular test. And he looked and he smiled and said, I've got some good news. As he began to close the door. That phrase has a way of lifting the soul, the spirit of any individual because there is a longing within the psyche of today's humanity to hear some good news. Three times in this passage that we're exploring today, Luke the physician, he wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as his sequel, the book of Acts, informs us that Paul is delivering good news, what the Bible refers to as the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto salvation, that which redeems us from our sinful nature. What I want to do, though, with you, as we look at this whole matter of good news, is to ask the question, but How do we deliver this good news to a secular culture bombarded by bad news and trying to figure out where there is good news to be found? Now there's the question of the hour. And this is the sort of issue that we ought to be thinking through if we love Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So no matter if you're a student, or if you're working, if you're a parent, if you're single, we've got a network of relationships now where we've got to be able to figure out how do we communicate gospel, changeless truths in these changing times where the times are increasingly secularized and less sacralized, if you will. For people who lack what you and I might call a biblical memory, What I want to do is to draw out four points of awareness in these thought processes here, which involves what I will call a rather large transition statement. And it will appear on the screen, it involves establishing starting points, where you and I try to figure out what is my starting point for sharing the gospel among secular unbelievers. In other words, I want to create some kind of highway in my conversations. I've got to figure out how to get on that highway 
to move the conversation over the course of my relational days with this person to the work of Jesus Christ. But where do I begin? I'm a practical kind of person. Show me how I get on that highway. Let me draw out for us this morning from this passage four points of awareness that I think can better equip us, whether you're married to a secular unbeliever, have family members who are secular unbelievers, work with secular unbelievers, have neighbors who are secular unbelievers, whatever the case is, or maybe you are one, and you just want to think about the way a believer is thinking about you, because we love you, and we want to share this with you. Four, what I'll call, points of awareness. The first I'm going to phrase like this. The number one involves an awareness of critical needs and how to meet them. The average secular unbeliever is not thinking about the cross of Jesus Christ. The average secular unbeliever is not even thinking about the scriptures that God has inspired his writers to pen. But I'll guarantee you that secular society, as well as the religious unbelieving element, all recognize a critical need. Now, it's very important, if you want to carry on a dialogue with a secular unbeliever, that you try to figure out what is that person's critical need. What do they view as their critical need? But listen... Help them to distinguish between what I will call a critical need and their ultimate need, which is salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. They may not be aware of their ultimate need, but they are very conscious, medically, financially, and in every other way, of critical need. This becomes a starting point where you and I have to assess, well, what are the critical needs of the people we care so deeply about? How do we press good news into these conversations? Well, in verse 8, watch how Paul does it. In Lystra, that's in Galatia, part of modern-day Turkey, there's a man there, and you and I are informed that he is crippled crippled in his feet. Now, he may have been in the mindset of the people in that culture, part of the landscape now. They've gotten used to the fact that this is just the way it is, but can you picture this man as he's sitting there watching these people walk by, and he lacks their capacity? Begin to ask yourself, in your extended relationships, Which people lack a certain capacity, lack certain resources to be able to do what others are doing? And how can I possibly, in an hour, two hours, in a given week, step forward to meet that critical need? We're talking starting point, not ending point. We're talking critical need, not necessarily ultimate need, but we got to get on that highway that moves towards Jesus. Notice with me here, Paul is not speaking in the synagogue. There's no synagogue mentioned here. 
Haven't we noticed in prior weeks that in Galatia, he started by communicating truth in the synagogue? There's no synagogue here. What does that tell you? When you read the scripture, look for what's absent as well as what's present. No synagogue means there's probably a minimal Jewish population, which means there's a high level of Gentile population, which means there's lack of awareness of the Old Testament, which means you probably aren't going to be able to use the Scriptures as your starting point then in speaking to such people. Now, likewise in today's culture, increasingly you and I are facing a form of biblical illiteracy or a Scripture on awareness where people are simply going to a lack an understanding of what Jesus Christ has done. I don't assume that today is the same as yesterday. Therefore, I've got to figure out what are today's starting points of communicating good news. Now, what Paul does is he identifies a critical need. Are you doing that in your relationships now? And as you identify that critical need, and you are burdened to be able to move that person from an awareness of critical need to an awareness of ultimate need, how will you go about addressing that initial need? Paul now, in this next verse, we are informed, he's speaking. This man who's crippled is listening to Paul as he was speaking. So there is some kind of understanding that is developing here. What is Paul speaking about? Well, you and I were informed in verse 7. Good news. The good news that Christ has died for our sins, of course. He's speaking, and what captures our attention is the fact that this man captured Paul's attention. Paul looked directly at him, Luke the physician informs us, and saw that he had faith to be healed. How did Paul know that this man had faith to be healed? Paul is an apostle sent by God into this region now known as Galatia's first missionary experience. is so illuminated by the working of the Holy Spirit in his mind. Simultaneously, the Holy Spirit is working within the soul of this man that God is making a connection. And Paul is alert to connections. Are you? Do you look for connections or are you just prone to want to stay disconnected with the gospel? What fascinates me about the book of Acts is that these were connected people. And you and I likewise are to find a way to be a connected people in a highly disconnected world. But now Paul notices this man's engaged. He's listening. Paul, eye contact. Man realizes Paul recognizes him, sees him. Everybody else may have walked by him. He's just part of the, of the landscape of Lystra. Sad. But Paul realizes that there is a work of faith operating within this man who desires to be healed, and so he calls out, stand up on your feet. We're in the open air here. We're not in the synagogue. He doesn't start with, with 2 Samuel and exposits. 
Instead, he goes for the critical need because this is a starting point here. He's now moving on the highway, found his entry point. At that, the man jumped up and began began to walk. Thanks for those who were involved in Love Loud. Take it from this neighborhood to your neighborhood now. Because what that did was to create a starting point. It creates awareness. But remember, starting points are not meant to be ending points. And never confuse critical needs with ultimate needs. The ultimate need is to be saved from the penalty of our sins. Putting faith and trust in Jesus. But sometimes you're going to have to show enough care, love, concern to minister to critical needs, which are felt needs, to be able to eventually talk about the ultimate need, Jesus Christ dying. Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And what Paul has done here is that he has created a visual monument in the mindset of these people with regard to the fact that God has the power not only to address the physical but also the eternal. I thought about that when I was reflecting back on days in New England. In Boston, there's a particular monument. It's known as the Ether Monument. It's also known as the Good Samaritan Monument. It's a statue, fountain near the northwest corner of Boston's public garden, Staring at the scene right now, I probably should have put it up on the screen for you. But it depicts a medical physician representing a good Samaritan. And he's holding this drooping body of a man on his left knee. The doctor holds in his left hand a cloth, suggesting the usage of ether that was to be developed in centuries to come. This was a monument to the first use of the anesthetic in modern medical history. What interests me is that at the base of the statue, there there are four inscriptions, two of which are biblical quotations. One, all this also comes from the Lord Almighty, Wonderful in counsel and magnificent in wisdom, taken from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29. The second, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Now, if you are taking a walk in Boston, hope you do at some point, about 15 minutes away was Massachusetts General Hospital where the site of the first usage of the anesthetic is to be found. 
There's an operating theater there at MGH, Massachusetts General Hospital, where this experiment took place and was renamed the Ether Dome. It's now a National Historic Landmark. But what interests me is that this monument, which points people towards the Ether Dome, has a way of reminding us that society is inflicted with pain. And humanity by nature is looking for some form of relief. Now God has positioned you and me relationally among both religious and secular unbelievers who have what they will describe as critical needs and looking for some form of relief. If you have a true heart for that person and love them deeply in Jesus, the objective is to move them from an awareness of critical need to an awareness of ultimate need. And to lead them from not merely an awareness of the fact that I am pain and I'm looking for relief, to the ultimate awareness that I am a sinner in need of salvation. But you've got to find starting points in a secular culture. But you can't let your starting point stick as your ending point. You've got to go somewhere with this, don't you? And Paul, Paul wants to go somewhere with this. So there's your first point of awareness, an awareness of critical needs. So look around you now and ask them in your neighborhood. Start loving loud in whichever neighborhood God has placed you in because the neighborhood of this church is the neighborhood of each and every person who attends this church. Where do I minister now? Awareness of critical needs and how to meet them, verse 8 through 10, leads you now to what I'm going to call a second point of awareness. The number two, an awareness of what I'm going to describe as influential beliefs and how to address them. Because paradoxically, the secular unbeliever is a believer of secular things. And now I've got to be able to understand, how does that person think? What is his or her belief system? What is their value system? And how do they come to these conclusions anyways? So now look at what happens to Paul and Barnabas, as this physician Luke describes it. In verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. (coughs) Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief. He was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Now, what kind of bizarre gathering is this you have walked into? Take a step back. 
each and every ceremony that happens in our culture, each large gathering that happens in our culture, small or large, there is something here that needs to be interpreted. So now you're standing with Paul and Barnabas, aren't you? What you need to be doing is to ask yourself, now how do I build a bridge into this kind of situation? We've been made aware of the critical need. This man's been healed and has now gotten the attention that we meet critical needs. Look at this response, and this response is based upon their belief system. What can I pick out, pull out from what they're saying? Bore in on this. The gods have come down to us in human form. They believe in plural gods. The gods. Okay? At least they believe in the supernatural. I can work with that. Come down in human form. Hey, I've got something now. Because the story of Jesus Christ is of God the Father sending God the Son into this world. He came in human form. In other words, now, what's happening is that Paul and Barnabas are building a bridge from the scriptural to the secular. They're going to have to think about how do I enter into this kind of mindset and communicate good news. Now, listen to what's being said. Patterns that are appearing on the news. Listen furthermore to the conversations at work, school, neighborhoods. What are the patterns? What are the phrases? Behind those words and patterns and phrases are typically passions and values. Look at those. Figure them out. Behind those stand beliefs. Figure those out. And how can I then bring this set of beliefs defined by Scripture in a way that is clear and understandable to an individual who holds these sorts of beliefs once critical needs are being addressed? Well, Paul and Barnabas are aware we are, we are dealing with people who do hold to the supernatural here. And they hold to the Roman pantheon of gods. Zeus, he was the ruler of sky and weather. Thunderbolt was his symbol. Hermes was the messenger of the gods. Zeus was the father of Hermes. Hey, but God the Father, God the Son, I can do something with this. Now, you delve a little further then into the mindset of people. Had Paul done his homework as he was moving into Lystra, this is what he would have been found. This is what he would have found out. A couple of generations prior, there had developed a story that Zeus and Hermes had entered into this region, the Lyconian region, and they had gone door to door looking for hospitality. But door after door was slammed in their face. Until finally, there was a couple by the name of Philemon and Bacchaeus, husband and wife, elderly, who welcomed them into their home, cared for them. As a result, Zeus and Hermes in this legend blessed that family and then destroyed all the other homes. Hey, I can work with this. Uh, Jesus, Joseph and Mary, innkeeper. I can work with this. This longing for second opportunities. 
wishing I had a, a second chance to get it right. Talk about grace here. And so now, these people are obviously worried, hey, if we don't get it right, our houses are going to be destroyed. This is why they're so emotional. Now, what I'd like you to do among the extended people you're connected with is to ask yourself, what makes them emotional? What stirs them? What triggers something in their mindset that may seem very odd to you, but very logical to them. And so now even the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd want to offer sacrifice to them. Oh, they, they also hold to some concept of sacrifice. Well, maybe then I can flip it and talk about the God who sent his son to sacrifice on our behalf, you see. Because at least they do hold to a concept of sacrifice. In other words, you're looking for bridges and terminology in the culture. Pam know I have a chance to go to many movies, but one thing I do, I read movie reviews constantly. Constantly. Don't go to them, but I'm even looking for plot lines and stories to understand what makes this culture tick. Because my heartbeat is simply one-on-one evangelism, and I want to tell people about Jesus, but I, I was raised in a Christian home, and so I, I have to continuously develop starting points. Years ago, when I was in college, I remember a time when some of our friends went to see Dr. Zhivago. I just made some notes on that. It's a classic film, of course. But there was something that stood out in it. In that movie scene of Dr. Zhivago, where Comrade General is talking to Tanya, she's had a traumatic experience in her life. Always look for the traumatic experiences. He asked her, how did you come to be lost? That's a very important question for all of humanity. She answered, well, I was just lost. She's hesitant. She's backing off. Tries again. How did you come to be lost? Tanya just doesn't want to say, but finally she develops her answer a little further. I was just lost. My father and I were running through the city. It was on fire. The revolution came. We were trying to escape. I was lost. Comrade General pushes one last time. How did you come to be lost? Think about this from a Christian worldview standpoint. She finally blurts out. We were running through the city. My father let go of my hand and I was lost. He let go of me. To which Comrade General said, this is what I've been trying to tell you, Tanya. Kamarov is not your real father. Shivago is your real father. And I can promise you, Tanya, your real father will never let go of your hand. Oh, man. Does that connect? Does that connect? 
I mean, study the scriptures and study this culture. Make some connections. Now, they've got the wrong father in mind. They've got Zeus. And now what God is going to do through Paul and Barnabas is to get them to reorient themselves to the true father-son relationship through the working of the third member of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit. By even the sacrifices, you, you can work with that. But now, what do you do? What do you do? Because there is this, there is this emotional tension and they lack scriptural awareness. What do you do in a culture that can't figure out Genesis from Revelation? And I get that. Here then is your third point of awareness. The number three, there needs to be the awareness of what we'll call creational truths. Creational truths and how to explain them. Because maybe people don't know the Bible. But they are aware of nature. They are aware of what's around them. That environmental movement that happens. If you want to talk about the oil pipeline, you want to talk about pros and cons of reactions too, this is an opportunity again. And so now, with creational awareness, you want to move them from the design to the designer, from the creation to the creator. They may not have Bible in hand, but they've got nature at hand. This is what Paul brilliantly does. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men! Why are you doing this thing? Don't note the humility here, which is so desperately needed in our society today. The shouting. We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you, mock this, good news. It's gospel. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. He doesn't use the word repent, but he does use the word turn. Turn from and turn to utilizing language they can comprehend, but saying the same thing. This living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, and in the past He led all nations go their own way, yet He has not left Himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, fills your hearts with joy. These are creational truths. But in an evolutionary culture, what we've got to be able to do is to argue from intelligent design to this intelligent designer, you see. Build bridges. But you start by meeting critical need. And you move forward at that point to understanding influential beliefs, what influences their belief system, to then, if they don't have a grasp of the Scriptures, drawing out creational truths what Bible theologians call general revelation. But we'll just keep it simple. 
And we continue to want to be able to talk about the designer who stands behind the design, get the thought processes going, as now they realize you care. Before they care about how much you know, they need to know how much you care. But bear in mind, religious unbelievers are sometimes very hostile and will find a way to connect with secular unbelievers. Some time passes between verse 18 and 19. But then all of a sudden, Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city. Whiplash. It's because this obviously didn't go deep with some of them. And so Paul and Barnabas then kind of pick themselves up, carry on. But in light of these first three, we still need something more here, don't we? We're a church, we're a congregation. And we have been positioned in 2013, inching towards 2014, and we've got to be able to understand the times in which we live. Understand truth, but understand trends. How does a church then impact this kind of change in culture in your church? And you're in a neighborhood. Here then is your fourth point of awareness. That fourthly, there needs to be awareness of what I'll call congregational opportunities and how to develop them. And so now what Paul and Barnabas do, in verse 21, they preach good news in that city. When a large number of disciples, and then what do they do? They return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Every setting that people had tried to stone them, persecute them, remove them, they go back. You mean you care that much about this good news that you would come back and communicate it some more? In verse 22, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships. Now they've got credibility. They've gone through it themselves. To enter the kingdom of God, they said, and Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them. Mark that phrase, appointed elders. For them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. They don't give up. They go back. The writer of Restoring Your Spiritual Passion says, on our first visit to Africa, I met a blind evangelist. That day, the man had walked several dozen miles. Get that to share the gospel. We watched him in action, breathless with admiration for his courage to speak in a region mocked by Islam. A few months after we had met, he was attacked and severely beaten by those who resisted his presence. His blindness gave him no opportunity for defense. Yet, when he had recovered from his wound, he went back. And I thought of Paul and Barnabas who go back because it's not enough to deal with critical needs. 
you've got to still address that ultimate need. Question. Who do you need to go back to? Question. Have you now figured out some on-ramps to be able to get into this highway that will move people from creation to cross to Christ? An on-ramp that gets you and all your loved ones moving in the same direction together. Points of awareness. The door that was closing is now opening. And my friend, the doctor, is leaving the room. And as he does so, he's still smiling. He looks back over his shoulder and says, It's good news. And leaves. This is good news, people. Let's share it with you. And stand together. You've given us now a model. You've even helped us visualize this in the experience of Paul and Barnabas. You've shown us in prior weeks how to make connections with the religious unbeliever. Now you've shown us something about the mindset of the secular unbeliever. Equip us now, Father, to take truth and press it into the relationships that we have looking for those critical needs and inching them towards Jesus. So I pray if there's anyone right now here today who's got a burden on their heart for somebody, love them dearly, concern greatly. Maybe it's somebody who works for them, works with them. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone here who doesn't know Jesus. Work in that heart, Father. And move that person to the ultimate need. The need for salvation. And I'm praying, Father, through each one here. Good news is being shared. Faith is being experienced. Jesus is received as Savior and Lord. And you're using this church family to make it happen. For this, I'll give you all the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.